0: From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy, where the doctor is always in. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. We've got lots of time to talk about the things that are going on in your mind. That's right. doesn't have to be mental health related, but that's uh, open too. We are here to answer any and all of your questions. This is the show where you can call in with your health care questions for yourself or your family or maybe it's your friend's. And we're going to take a stab at giving you the answers that you need. We would love to hear from you this morning. You can share those comments and questions with us by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one Or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio.
1: This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio.
0: Good morning. Hope everybody's having a beautiful morning this morning, whatever you're doing, whether that's at work or driving or maybe just hanging out at home. Probably don't have the kids with you. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And we are here for you this morning. That's right. This is the program where you can call in with any healthcare question, whether it's one from the pediatric age range, maybe you've got a newborn in the house and you can't quite understand why they're doing what they're doing, trying to interpret those signs and symptoms that they might have, or whether it's uh, an adult type question. Maybe it has to do with a chronic disease like hypertension, diabetes maybe it's something that came up and you can't quite figure that out or want a second opinion on the air we are here to do that today that's right this is free medical advice and uh just for you and we uh, open up the show for anything that you might want to discuss. So give us a call this morning. You can reach us at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at remedy at mpbonline dot org. Got a couple of emails this past week that we uh, sent in to people. So that's a good way to reach us if you. Can't quite get it all in. Maybe you want to uh, type that out and uh, get an answer. We try to do those as quickly as we can to uh, get you some uh, good information back. So uh, take advantage of that offline if you so if we're not uh, live, uh, but we are here for you this morning. And I hope everybody is having a great end of the summer. The kids are back in school. Hopefully, I think just about everybody's back now. And. Um, you know, it's always a good time to, to think about all the things that you need to do to get them in back in order. But uh, I know uh, we've probably talked about this in multiple programs throughout the week. And Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on Thursday, Dr. McLeod's probably uh, touching on this a little bit, that uh, schedules and things to... Uh, to uh, keep in mind are very important. Sleep is way underestimated on the importance of that for uh, for everybody. Uh, it's always best to, to capitalize on that. Let's go to Carolyn in Ridgeland. Good morning, Carolyn.
2: Good morning.
0: Thank you for calling.
2: Um, I have a question about my blood pressure. Um, I'm uh, in my early 70s, and I take three blood pressure medications, and... My diastolic is always well below 70, and sometimes as low as 50. Um, and I just don't know if that's anything that I should be concerned about. The systolic starts out in the morning, usually about 130, and then during the day, it'll go down to sometimes 97.
0: Mm. Okay. Uh, Carolyn, so when it goes down that low, both the top and the bottom numbers, the systolic and the diastolic, do you feel dizzy, lightheaded, feel like you're going to pass out a little uh, bit? normal. Okay, good. Normal. No and the, symptoms at all. And that's the first question I asked. So I I've just about every week I uh, ask this question uh about blood pressure. So uh it's important to ask those. Now what you described is a common thing. The older we get, usually if you have high blood pressure, The top number becomes your main problem with control, and the bottom does not. And in fact, the bottom one drops. And this has to do with how compliant or stretchy our blood vessels are, particularly our arteries, uh, over time. And once you lose that, if they become less compliant, uh, they lose their distensibility, how much they stretch, then that bottom number can go down, and the top number goes up. There's a lot of complex physiologic reasons for that. There's pressure waves that add up and get transmitted at uh, little branch points all down the, the arterial tree, but that's that's basically a common thing for most people if they have high blood pressure. Now, Carolyn, you're right. That bottom number is just as important as the top, and if it gets too low, you're going to know it. Now, thankfully, you don't have any symptoms. The symptoms that I mentioned were uh, you know, lightheadedness or dizziness, those are the things, you know, like you if you get if you're uh, you know getting up too fast sometimes. If that is common, particularly while that blood pressure is lower, then your physician may want to back off the dose or back off a number of medications, maybe change your regimen up a little bit. But if it's not, it's probably okay. In fact, one of our uh, recent blood pressure um, trials that helped sort of redefine our new target numbers of less than one hundred thirty over eighty. Um, sort of define that for the elderly so for so for those that are over 60 over 70 uh we have to be careful and you have to individualize that but if i would say if you're not having any symptoms it's probably okay if you start to get dizzy lightheaded uh some people get sort of nauseous not nauseated uh feelings uh then you might want to you know back off but it has to match up with the blood pressure so if the blood pressure is a little bit lower um, it's it it could be a problem if you have symptoms. If not, I'd say, you know, where you are is a good thing. We know that blood pressures at least less than 130 over 80 are a good thing. Uh, I don't like for my patients, you know, blood pressure is variable. You described a normal range of blood pressures throughout the day that can vary by about 20%. It goes down at night to... Um, but, um, you know, I, I generally don't like if it's consistently going down below 60 on that bottom number on the diastolic, just because of the risk of damage to, uh, particularly to the heart and to the brain. But really it's going to be accompanied, accompanied by symptoms if that's the case. So if you're, if you're rocking along just fine with no symptoms, I would say you're doing fine. Thank you so
2: much.
0: Sure. Thanks for calling. Yeah, Carolyn brought up another thing that actually was in the news. So this was uh, hot off the press yesterday. There was a study looking at blood pressure management. And uh, most people aren't, I I still think that they don't quite realize that it takes a number of medications, not just one medication to control blood pressure. So the vast majority of people who are at their blood pressure goal are on more than one blood pressure medication. And this was a trial of a triple uh, regimen. So it was three blood pressure medications in one pill. And what they were looking at is uh, if these people compared to other people who were on one or two medications for mild to moderate high blood pressure, if uh, they were able to get better blood pressure control. And lo and behold, yes, they found that the patients that were on the triple therapy, uh, those three medications in one pill, they tended to do a little bit better. So they had better control rates. And their average blood pressure was 125 over 76, uh, compared to 134 over 81 for those that received the standard of care. So, just goes to show you, it takes more than one medication most of the time to control blood pressure to goal. You're not uh, abnormal if you're requiring multiple medications. And a combination therapy is not such a bad thing, it limits side effects. It's more convenient to do that with just one pill. So, Thanks for that, Carolyn. The number uh, to reach us this morning at Southern Remedy is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 or you can reach us by email at remedy at org. Let's go to Bill in New Albany. Good morning, Bill. Good
3: morning. How are you this morning?
0: Good. How are you?
3: All right. I need to find some information on lymphedema. Lympho- My wife has l- been diagnosed with it after five years, or they just didn't know what was the matter with her.
0: And that's the swelling in her in her legs. Is that Bill? Yeah. Is that what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Lymph- lymphedema is a, a term. You know, edema just means swelling somewhere. Yeah. So, and you can have swelling from a number of different things. The body has a natural system of getting rid of excess fluid in between cells in in different tissues, and that's the lymph system. So this is a highway of, it's not blood vessels, but they're similar to blood vessels, really similar to veins. And over time, this system can just not work as well. Uh, It might be a compression of those little uh, lymph vessels. It might be from different reasons. But it is hard to manage, and I'm sure B- Bill just listened to what Little you said. It sounds like y'all are sort of frustrated. Uh, information on that, uh, really, you can do a, a Google search, and um, uh, WebMD is a good one to look at. So, uh, or if you you know want to look it look it up in the American Heart Association, they might deal with that too. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's a problem like heart failure or problems with the liver or Uh, again, with the lymph vessels themselves. But knowing what's the cause is very important in the treatment of it. If it is just a problem with the lymph vessels themselves, compression hose are probably the best thing to do. And these aren't necessarily the ones that you can just buy over the counter at your pharmacy. You need to go to a medical supply store, ask your physician to refer you there. Uh, And sometimes these are housed in physical therapy too. So they have lymphedema clinics. The more you move around, the better that is going to get, and the less salt you eat, the better it's going to get. So those are some places I would start, Bill, but it it is frustrating, but you can get some improvement if you sort of take a, a multiple disciplinary approach to it. All right. Thank you much. Sure. Thanks for calling. Let's go to Kay in Memphis, Tennessee. Good morning, Kay. Man, I'm on already? You're on already. Can you believe that? That's the service that we offer right here on Southern Remedy.
4: Well, I'm a member and I support that. So, thank
0: you so much. Thank you so um, much.
4: I have a follow up a follow up question from something that Doctor Cesareo told me. I want you to know you have big shoes to fill.
0: Oh, don't I know it? I, I don't um, I know it.
4: Well, we had our our. Anyway, I'll say this. We had so much in common. We were both veterans, but I was from Korea. He was from Vietnam. We both worked in the medical field, and I have a master's degree in medical social work and have taught doctors how to use social workers and all that kind of
0: stuff. Thank you so for I, that.
4: You know, so I have an extensive um, amount of knowledge considering I'm just a lay person. So, now, he told me that the problem was a blockage in the lower part of my spine, and I should go to a neurologist. Mm-hmm. Now, me wants to know what is the blockage. I know I know the symptoms, um, but what is the blockage? Where is it? See, I have had problem um, with my sciatic nerve, mm-hmm. and but, but you know it's not that at all. Now, I have not had problems with that in a long time, but. Um, what is blocking it? And what does the neurologist do, do? Give me some details. So,
0: Kay, are, are you having numbness in your legs?
4: I'm still having some, uh-huh. but they're not completely dead. Okay. But and at, what, time, at times when I pinch my legs, I can feel the pain, and other times I just don't okay. feel pain.
0: And it's both legs?
4: Both legs,
0: yes. Is it worse when you're doing certain activities, or does it get better and worse, or is it there all the time?
4: I can't tell that activity has anything to do with it. It seems to be there to some extent all the time, and also my feet are sort of dead.
0: Mm-hmm. What about when you sleep? Does it get better or worse?
4: Uh, I don't know. See, it's not exactly the same all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it seems to be better, and sometimes it's... It's not. So, and I just have not been able to go to a neurologist yet. Yeah. So.
0: If he told you that what he's probably I'm I'm guessing what Dr. DeCaze was thinking now with all the information. But it sounds like if he went, you know, so far as to say you needed to go to to the neurologist, it was a a a blockage of the nerve. So something is pressing on the nerve and that can happen in different places. You mentioned sciatica, that's one. That's yeah. usually, you know, where the disc, the disc are sort of the cushions between the vertebral bodies or your your vertebrae. Uh-huh. Uh, the backbones. And sometimes they can sort of slip out the middle portion, which is sort of soft and press on a nerve there. And it it, right. it worsens, you know, if you lift that leg. Now, what you're describing though, is a little bit different. And it may be a blockage within the spinal cord itself. So there is something called spinal cord or, or spinal stenosis. Uh-huh. Uh, Spinal stenosis is a blockage. It's sort of like that nerve, that main, you know, spinal column comes down there, and basically the the hole that it travels down the spinal column gets narrowed. And that can be from arthritis. It can be from, you know, just these bone outgrowths that push on there. And that is something that you have to watch out for because it's progressive, Uh, It can cause not only uh, loss of sensation in the lower extremities, but loss of motor movement. So you might, you know, be at risk for falls. That's not a good thing as we get older. Um, But it it almost always has to be surgically corrected if it progresses. Now, it doesn't have to be. There may be some mild forms of it that you could just see the neurologist, but they can do some advanced testing on that. And I don't know. Have you had an MRI yet of your back? No, no. That may be. After they do an exam, you know, of uh, to sort of pinpoint that, that might be the next step. There are some other things out there, and I don't know if you've been tested for these, but like B12, folate deficiency, some of those can sometimes cause... Uh, I,
4: would, I would think that would have been picked up because uh, my cardiologist did a complete blood workup, and he sent me the results because I require that all doctors give me the results. There him. you go. Because I understand them and I can use them sometimes, uh, you know. When I go to another doctor and they haven't been able to pull up my records or, or you know whatever, that's a good but thing I, to I'm do. I'm familiar with the sciatica, um and I, I can imagine with age I will be 88 next month. So
0: you're I'm, 88 years young. There you yeah, go.
4: I am, and I'm I'm still kicking.
0: There you go. Well, Kay, uh, but, yeah, that's that's probably what he was talking about was the spinal stenosis. So that's a blockage within that spinal column. So I. Yeah, I'd, I'd check out with a uh, get checked out by a neurologist for that. All right, Kay, thank you for that uh, for that follow up question. Yeah, nerve problems can be a pain, uh, literally, figuratively. Uh, loss of sleep too. I mean, that's a big deal to uh, incapacitate you. Let's go to uh, Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue.
4: Good morning. I'm just itching with curiosity, so I'm calling to ask you this question. Well,
0: what's what's your itch? <laughs>
4: In, in the recent past, every spring and summer you hear about cases of uh,
2: Legionnaire's disease cropping up. And yep. It's been a long, long time since I've heard anything about Legionnaire's disease. Has it been eradicated, or, or what's the deal with that?
0: So Legionnaire's is caused by a uh, a bacteria that likes to live in moist environments. So if you look at how this is described, it's in you know sort of the old... Uh, air conditioning uh, units that the towers, uh, where you would have these in hospitals, you would have these in different, you know, community living environments. And the water, uh, the moist environment, it was a place where this bacterium used to hang out, or it likes to hang out. Uh, it's it's mainly transmitted from a respiratory standpoint, from person to person, and it's not necessarily something. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions, I think, about bacterial illnesses, some of them, like the viruses, uh, we can we can either control or we can, uh, you know, limit their spread. But almost everything out there, uh, you know, the outbreaks happen when you have this bacteria which normally lives in these environments that propagates and there's a bunch of people all right there by it. Um, so that's what the outbreak is. We haven't really you know, cured it first. a lot of people say, well, have you wiped it out? No, it's going to be there. I mean, it's going to be in the environment and sort of background levels. The biggest thing is to make sure that you don't give it an, a chance to grow in an environment that it likes. Uh, and then once it spreads, you know, this is something that's treatable if you catch it early enough by antibiotics. And then to, uh, this is where actually the detective work of epidemiology, that's the study of how these things spread and how they pop up is fascinating because you basically have medical detectives that go in and they try to pinpoint where this started that we call that the index case that's the person that first had it and then how did it spread and sometimes there's these uh you know these these things spread through air conditioning so like uh, that's something that we can control that we can improve on Uh, Sometimes it's person-to-person. So uh, you had to be sort of a detective in these outbreaks, and it's important to identify them early so that you can prevent it and then also prevent the spread of that person who goes home to another place and spreads it there. So Legionnaires is one that's old, um, but it does pop up from time to time. Still got good uh, antibiotics to treat it. Uh, You just need to know what the symptoms are.
4: Bacteria that causes Legionnaires, or is it more than one?
0: Oh, it's just one. Yeah, so it's just. Which one is it? So, so it's. Uh, oh, I'm blanking on the scientific name. Hold on a minute; it'll come to me in a second. My old.
2: I'm just curious. I, I don't have access to a computer, so you know.
0: Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's it's mainly you know the veterans uh, veterans have gotten this from a lot of VAs in the past, but of course that's not a reason. That most of the most of the ways that it's. Um, you know, transmit uh, from person to person have been corrected over time. You don't really have a whole lot of those um, uh, old air conditioning systems, um, but basically, it's going to present as a respiratory illness. So it might present like pneumonia or bronchitis, cough, high fever, usually you know in the one hundred two to one hundred four range, um, and uh, uh, Legionella. I'm sorry. Legionella. So that's the that's that's mm-hmm. the name of the bacterium is Legionella. Um, sorry, that's just, man, I need more coffee this morning. Uh, so then you can have chest pain with it, but shortness of breath, cough and fever or of the, uh, are some of the main symptoms. You can also have some symptoms, uh, GI symptoms as well, like nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Uh, but almost always it can be traced back to, you know, an instance where you got it somewhere, uh, where it likes to grow.
4: Okay. Well, thank you.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Hot tubs are another one. We don't have a whole lot of hot tubs in the south, but it's certainly out west, they, they've uh, you know identified that as a as a source for ne- the Legionella bacteria. Hey, this is Southern Remedy this morning uh, with Dr. Jimmy, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Got some great questions so far. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can email us at remedy at mpb. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, a couple of other things in the news and your questions.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org.
0: Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy and we are here taking your questions this morning. That's right. This is the program where we answer your health questions no matter what they are to give you the answers this morning. If you will call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Got some great questions so far. Hey, if I were you and I were a regular listener, I would put that number in my phone and I would say Southern Remedy. Uh, and you can call in anytime, make a little bit faster to get in. Certainly got enough time for lots of people to call in, but that may be a way to just sort of streamline the process that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four so lots of different things going on right now you know I've, I've mentioned heat stroke and heat exhaustion a lot over the summer months and there's a reason for that just because I've seen way too many people either come in the clinic or come in the ER or get admitted to the hospital and particularly if they have other medical problems, uh, they can do really badly. And you don't have to be old and have a lot of medical problems to do this. Right now we got a lot of young people that are playing sports. Uh, they may not be in the best conditioning shape through the summer, depending on what they did. And uh, if you don't stay hydrated, even if you do stay hydrated, uh, you know you really should watch out for that. So confusion on the field, uh in fact, you know, uh, just this past week, uh there was a uh, in the news, uh a uh, football player that died actually of uh, heat exhaustion. Every year we have some of these and uh even if you're doing everything right, particularly if you have other things on that are going to impede that sweating mechanism, um, whether that's equipment or something else, uh, you really need to think about that. So stay safe out there, and if you're in charge of kids, um, make sure that they're, you're, you know those things to uh, watch out for. Let's go to Deb in Starkville. Good morning, Deb. Hi.
2: Thank you for taking my call. Um, I, I have a question about um, alpha Um My husband was diagnosed with that after a tick bite from last year, and um, he's, you know we were told by the doctor, you know no more hoofed meats, so we cut those out. but i I fed him um, a cake that I'd put some jello in, some gelatin mix, mm-hmm. and he woke up about one a m and could not hardly breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, so i I just want to share that as well as we're finding that things like milk and cheese, um, anything that has a dairy product, he just cannot um, tolerate either.
0: Yeah. And, and you may, uh, so it's so that's a little bit less common, but certainly possible just because of that. A lot of people may not be uh, familiar with this syndrome. So alpha gall syndrome, uh, it's not that old, actually. It's recently been described as a food allergy to red meat. And basically what happens is we have a tick in the south called the lone star tick. And that bite transmit of the tick, it transmit a sugar molecule called alpha gal into the body, and that's a l p h a g a l. And in some people, not everybody, but some people, it 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 triggers the immune system uh, to have a reaction. That after that, after that that bite, it produces a mild to severe allergic reaction when they eat red meat or red meat products. So mostly, most of the time it's just a red meat. But it's possible, you know, because of the same protein structure that you might get it in anything that has, you know, cow's milk in it. Uh, I'm not aware, honestly, about any kind of cross-reactivity with other milk uh, or no, other products made from other animals. In other words, goat cheese or... Or something like that, sheep's milk. Uh but I you have to be a detective about this. You have to write these things down and be very careful about it. Have some mechanisms if your physician hasn't provided you because of the severity of some of these allergic reactions, if they haven't provided you with an EpiPen, you need one. You need yeah. to know what to do, you know, if those things if those things happen. But then be very careful about writing these things down. And really, avoidance is is the best thing. I know a lot of people love to eat those products, you know, and and they're like, oh, i got to change what I'm doing. Hey, if it saves your life, that's the best thing out there. Um, But it is, it's a rare uh, disease. We've just described this in the last decade or so, uh, but it is out there. And it's really a a very, unfortunately, intriguingly dangerous uh, reaction that you can have.
2: And we, we found it to be um, really changing our lives a, a good bit. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, you have to be careful about yeah. what you're exposed to. Yeah,
2: we're we're reading labels, you know, intensely yep.
0: now, so, yeah. Yeah, knowing where your food comes from. And really, I mean, in that case, too, processed food, you almost have to just... Just get, get rid a, of them. Uh, absolutely, yeah. If you can get fresh fruits and vegetables, <laughs> that's probably the best thing. Uh, and then maybe, you know, chicken and, and fish might be... Uh, you're going to be on the DASH diet. There you go.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Which isn't a bad thing.
0: No, it's not. No, it's not.
2: Okay, thank you so much. Thanks,
0: Deb. Uh, bye, bye. Alpha gal syndrome. That's right. It's not like my gal. It's alpha gal. So that's a weird one. But uh, but we're starting to see uh, we're starting to see more of that. All right. Let's go to Carmelo on the road. I hope I got that name right, Carmelo.
3: Yes, yes, Doctor. You pronounced it perfectly. Thank Hi. you.
0: What's your question this morning?
3: My question uh, is got to do with a hip replacement I had done a year and a month ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm from Orlando. I live in Kissimmee. Uh, I had a doctor who's been doing hip replacement to the elderly. Most most of his patients are elderly. And I'm a 51-year-old man. Back when I got the operation, I was 50. Uh, so everything I heard as I I spent eight years uh, bone against bone without having the surgery, then finally I pulled the trigger. I went... And and on my last two appointments, all I kept hearing was you're in excellent shape. Uh, you should be out with no problem. You should be running around in no time and this and that and the other. So I was pretty hyped up, ready for the operation and everything else. Sure enough, when you have bone against bone, you are <clears throat> eventually gonna be shorter on that leg. So mm-hmm. after eight years, uh, the doctor and his assistant they forgot to measure me. Uh, that, that that is my 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 guess right they uh the the reason why after the operation they left me short when i got on my feet for the first time uh at the hospital i noticed that i was shorter i was already short because of the bone on bone for eight eight years
0: but just shorter so on that one shorter on that one side was, right yeah Yep.
3: and and so with that uh it's a long question so with that my other hip is hurting because mm. i'm more inch, so i have to Built my shoes i have to get them built up uh up to an inch so i can walk almost even and so uh my other hip is bothering me which is already bone against bone already not to mention my back my lower back is i'm having serious problem with my lower back and now my knee is starting to bother me on that right hip
0: everything's out of alignment yeah
3: uh he the doctor i came back to the doctor he measured he he did everything, he measured me, he couldn't figure out why I'm short an inch. He's looking at all the x-rays, he took new x-rays, and his last word to me was, you know what, I think you need to go get a second opinion. Yeah. Any any idea, uh, I haven't got that second opinion yet, I'm looking forward to it, and I really wanna, more than likely, it looks like I'm gonna have to go back into that hip and, and fix it, and make it longer, I don't know what he's are gonna do about it. And not to mention, he suggested the other hip that I need to get, Taken care of eventually. They're going to have to cut uh, maybe a quarter of an inch or so of the bone to me somehow even. And yeah, that is my predicament. I want to do so. This
0: with that. Is, yeah. So that's a that's a sometimes particularly if and you describe the mechanism really well. So if you've got you know basically the the hip joint is a ball joint. So you've got the ball of your femur, that's the leg bone, and it sits up into the hip. Uh, that's the socket part of it. And if you' had arthritis for a long time and erosion of that bone uh, there's a there's a articular surface uh, between those two bones that's made up of cartilage and it has some lubrication on there to make sure that it moves around right however if if you uh, grind that down through whatever happened to it over time most of the time it's a chronic process when you get on bone on bone that's going to erode away the bone and you can lose a significant amount of of uh, of length of that, uh, of that bone and doing that. So, uh, you're in a sticky situation, Carmelo. So they're, they're either going to have to do two things. I think, I think the second opinion is somebody is, is great. And, uh, how do you get that? I would look for somebody who's been in the business a long time. There are ways to, if you just Google them and their, their patient safety data, their, uh, you know, patient satisfaction data, the, whoever has the highest and has been around for the longest time and has the best reputation, that's who I would go with. two Two different two different things that they're probably going to do. Either they re, they uh, fix the one that they've already done and get it the right length, the correct length, or if the other one's having some problems to the point where it's getting near to the point of fixing it, I think what they described in the other hip, you know, to sort of even things out is is good. Uh, in the meantime, some of the things that you mentioned, getting that shoe the right length is is important. Uh, physical therapy can help uh, take a little bit of pressure uh, off the, the spinal column, off the joints themselves, and put it on the muscles, and can help with, with mobility. As you go toward whatever next step, uh, physical therapy is very important. In fact, a lot of orthopedic surgeons are doing not just rehab, but prehab. So prehab is stuff you do before the surgery and not waiting till after the surgery. So they do both of those. Um, it's not going to be an easy process, Carmelo. I, I can tell you that just from what little I know about it, but, um, you know, some people may, may promise you, you're going to be running around. Never know. You never know what kind of complications you're going to have afterwards. And, uh, but I do think the second opinion is probably something to, to check out.
3: Last question. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I debated so much in regards to going into that doctor with 40, 40-something 40 years of experience, and going to sports medicine, orthopedics. Yeah. Is there a difference between them? Because now I'm, I'm truly believing that I should have went with sports medicine, orthopedics.
0: Um, there are certainly good orthopedic surgeons that are not sports medicine, uh, boarded. So that's a a little bit of extra training that does focus on sports related injuries. And sometimes that's a good thing. But, you know, if it comes when you get down to the surgery part, it's really the person, uh, most of the time who specializes just in that joint. And most orthopedic surgeons, uh, if they're not trauma surgeons, they, you know, they, they, um, they specialize in one specific joint. So you have these guys are out there that are just doing shoulders or doing hips or doing knees, and they don't really do anything else. The more things you do, the better you get at it, or at least you should. Um, so, so, you know, the people who are doing, that's all they do. And it's a team approach too. So, um, if you go to the hip person, uh, and they do just hips, they're going to have a team that that's all they do in the operating room they know exactly who are the best people afterwards, and they want a good, you know, you want a good, if you're the surgeon, you want a good um, um, surgical um, response to, to whatever you're going to do. Uh, so, yeah, I don't I don't know that I'd second guess that too much. There are certainly good sports medicine uh, orthopedic surgeons that will be equally as good as the, the regular orthopedic surgeons. It really just comes down to who has the most experience with those joints, and that's exactly the question you need to ask. You need to ask whoever you see. Have you seen this before? The answer should be yes. If they don't, if they say I haven't seen this before, you need to go somebody else. Um, and do they have experience in fixing the problem? Good question, yeah.
3: yeah, I have something to put on my list when I go see. Yep,
0: that's it. And and and, okay. and hey, you just want them to shoot straight with you. I mean, that's what everybody right. wants their physician.
3: Definitely, definitely. I thank you so much. Sure, good, luck.
0: good luck to you, Carmelo, and uh, with that process, and uh, you know, hopefully you'll get some uh, good response down the road. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and you can reach us this morning at one mpb ring Got plenty of time for your questions or comments. That's 1-877-672-7464, or email us at... Southern, oh, excuse me, remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to take a short break when we come back. A couple more things in the news about skin cancer and your questions.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Revity with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB RING. That's 1-877-672-7464 or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm
0: Dr. Jimmy and we are open for your calls. That's right. You can reach us this morning with any kind of health care question that you have about yourself or somebody else. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your wife. You can reach us by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464 or email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Got an email right here from Jonathan who has a question about chronic wasting disease in deer. So with deer season approaching, you know, there was last year there were a couple of cases, a few cases in the Mississippi Delta along the uh, Arkansas border. Uh, about chronic wasting disease, and this is something that's uh, you know has a lot of concern the The main concern is about is this transmissible to humans? Is this something that we should watch out about while we don 't have any documented case of that that i 'm aware of yet i 've looked at this it 's been a couple of months since I looked at it. Um, there is a possibility so chronic wasting disease is a little bit akin to mad cow disease, uh, and you don't want it you certainly don 't want to eat any uh, part of the deer that is affected if it's a deer that you know that it's you know that this is uh has been affected by chronic wasting disease uh then you don't want to have any of that processed uh and you want to notify the mississippi department of wildlife and fisheries uh, so that they can identify that deer and try to track down where the problem is uh but the you know if if it's in an area that's affected there are some limitations for where you can harvest deer uh, i think that there are probably going to be some more this year depending on what they find in certain areas. Uh, but if it were me I, and it's in an area that's going to have that, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't partake, but, uh, mainly it's the brain and nervous tissue. So that's certainly not anything that you need to eat. Why would you want to eat that in a deer anyway? Um, so no, I, I would, uh, sort of, uh, stray away from that. Let's go to Laura in Memphis. Good morning, Laura. Hey, thanks for calling. You had a hip replacement advice. For Carmelo, oh,
4: yes, I have a question. Sure. Well, no, 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 not so much advice. Okay. I have a question. All right. Um. So, how do you determine what materials are best for the actual device? I mean, yep. I've seen metal on metal, metal porcelain on porcelain, that kind of thing. And then my second question is, how do you um, determine or find out if uh, that surgeon? Um. Gets any kind of kickbacks from the medical device people for using yep. their product?
0: Yeah, and that's all. Oh, that's, those those are things. Those two questions are tied together. <laughs> so I'm not a surgeon, so I can't speak totally for them. But basically, uh, there are lots of trials out there with different materials. Uh, nothing lasts as long as the natural you know, product, the body's own natural product. But there's a, a various combination of metals and other composite materials that are used both for the actual joint itself, so those um, components of the joint that sort of glide over each other, uh, and then the, the – part that goes into the bone and, uh, and, and gets anchored to the bone, and lots of different ways to do that, too. There's lots of different ways to anchor it in. Um, now, here's the rub, okay? So every orthopedic surgeon is probably going to have their favorite device and favorite material, and they might have a range depending on the age of the individual, what they see, their experience with it. And uh, those materials are sold by companies uh, that, that manufacture them. Um, there is always uh, testing out there that goes into, you know, before you can you can manufacture that before it's uh, approved to be used in the body uh, as a device. And then most of the time a, a tech will from the company will be trained on that and, and come in and be available to the surgeon themselves. So uh, you just have to ask those questions. You know, who do? You, why do you use what you use? Why is always a great question to ask about that. Can you show me the data on that versus something else? Most of these surgeons are not ethically, they're not going to get a kickback or be taken out. You know, there's a lot of limitations for physicians, not just with them, but from pharmaceutical agencies. If they're doing that, they're breaking the law. Uh, but that's a great question to ask what their relationships are with these drug companies and with their representatives. Um, so I, I think those are perfectly fine questions to ask, particularly nowadays, gone are the days when they could take you out to, you know, for golfing or to eat all the time. That just doesn't, if it does happen, it's really shady. Uh, so that's some of the questions I would ask.
4: Are there any, uh, websites or any kind of websites like on the FDA where you look to see how, is that where you would go to find out the testing and the approval process and, if
0: if the surgeons using it they should be a, they should be able to provide you that trial and the trial is something that's published in a, you know somewhere uh in a uh, an academically peer reviewed process not just something from the company but they, if they're using it you know they're sort of they should be able to produce the data to show you and you can look that up yourself. Medline is, is one of the, you know, the online resources. Actually, to be honest, I use Google to find that kind of stuff now. And if you know what the, what the, uh, the company's name and the part, and you can just say, you know, testing or design testing uh, as a search parameter, and it'll, you can pull that up.
4: Perfect. All right. Thank you.
0: Sure. Thanks for calling. Let's go to Gene and Mobile. Good morning, Gene. Good morning. Thanks for calling. What's your question this morning? Uh, they had a lady on the, on your show there yesterday, a doctor I say a lady, anyway a doctor, and she was
4: talking about uh, executive function.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Is
4: that is is that the proper term? For that, if she was talking about, I'm, I want to look it up online. I
2: don't know exactly.
0: What yeah, so I, and I didn't, I, I didn't catch yesterday's program. I think that was probably Doctor Buttress that was talking right, about that. Right. And uh, executive function has to do with sort of how you think and what you can do. So yeah, if you'll look that up, there'll be plenty of how definitions. Do you that first, 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 first? The executive, E X E C U T I V E, just like an executive i am just checking your spelling, to see if he's a real doctor. <laughs> <laughs> not very good in the spelling department. But <laughs> myself, myself, But anyway, I appreciate it. I want to look it up online. I've never heard of it. Sure. Uh, I've been married to my wife for 56 years, and,
2: and she's not seen I by no stretch of the imagination, but she just has difficulty functioning. So yeah. It's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to see what we can find out here. Maybe, maybe, I can, maybe I can get her to cook it again.
0: Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, hopefully you will. Sounds like she's a good cook. Thank you, ma'am. All right. Sure, I mean. that's, I'm all messed up. That's okay. <laughs> Executive function. That's right. That's uh, sort of how you think, uh, some of the things that you do, some of the higher level functioning and thinking. And there's a lot of tests out there for that. Uh, locally, we have the Mind Center, but I bet in Mobile they have uh, comparable things that you can get uh, a full battery of testing if you need it. Let's go to Joyce in Oxford. Good morning, Joyce. Morning. Thanks for calling. What's your question or comment this morning?
4: have a
2: question. Uh, If you have a perfectly normal 30, 40, 50-year-old asymptomatic for diabetes, go in for just your annual checkup. Is the doc going to order a glucose test, or is that not included in your regular annual battery of blood tests?
0: So if you're asymptomatic, you don't have any kind of symptoms, you don't have a big family history, it really comes down to what insurance you have, because they're going to pay for certain things. And here's what they do. They look at the biggest bang for your buck. So in other words, if you're in a state like Mississippi that has a high um, prevalence, a lot of people with diabetes, then you want to test more people than say you're in a state that uh, didn't have as much diabetes, even if you don't have symptoms. So, for instance, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, they will pay either for a glucose or an A1C. An A1C is a three-month average hemoglobin A1C of uh, of what your glucose has been and blood sugar has been. Right. So, it really, but it really depends on the individual insurance that you have. For an asymptomatic individual, same thing for like cholesterol. You know, some of them do, some of them don't. Some of them do it every couple of years. Um, But glucose or or the A1C is one that most test for just because we have it. You know, diabetes is something you need to know when you have it uh, and you need to treat it appropriately or you're going to have complications. So um, certainly for those who are at risk, you can, you know, you can do that. You can test for it. But as far as that routine wellness exam or annual physical, they're called both of those things. It really comes down to the insurance you can contact your own insurance company and they'll they'll probably have a website that lists all those things. They change from time to time depending on the, the uh you know the the evidence for getting them. But that's a pretty cheap test to get. A lot of physicians' offices will do it, you know, right there in the office. They don't have to send that out and you can get it before you leave.
2: Okay, thank you very much.
0: Sure. Yeah, A1C is probably the better test to get than the just a, a you know a regular finger stick glucose because it gives you that three month average. And uh, blood sugar can go up and down if you're fasting. In other words, you hadn't eaten for six to eight hours. That's that's something that's more accurate, but it's just right one time period. It's not that three month average. Let's go to uh, Winston in Hickory Flats. Good morning, Winston. Are you there, Winston? Winston. Are you there? Are you listening, Winston? I hear you listening in the background. Winston, yes, hey, are you there? Yeah. Okay, good. Hey, can you turn your can you turn your radio down because we can hear that? All right, perfect. What's your question this morning?
4: My question right there is my blood pressure medicine. Right there, every time I, there I go to rebuild my medicines, uh,
1: specifically my
4: uh, blood pressure medicines. Either the size, the color, or the shape of them are different, and I have to ask the pharmacy right there. Well, this does not look like the medicine right there that I had last month. Yeah, and I was just wondering why. I, I didn't know.
0: Do you know the name of that medication, Winston?
4: Uh, one of them. Uh, no, I don't. It's a Lor, to Lorstan, Lors, Lors or
0: okay. I, I, and and it
4: was white, or football shape right yep. there. And this
1: month, right there's a green.
0: Yeah. So what happens is particularly those medications uh, that have gone generic. Uh, In other words, the main company that initially developed those that they've run out on their their patent on on that and basically uh, another company buys out the rights for it and they produce it. Now to get the best Prices, um, the multiple companies may be producing this drug, and that's probably what's happening to you. So, every time a different company is picked up by that individual pharmacy, say Walgreens or Kroger, you know, wherever you get your, your uh, you know, CVS, wherever you get your medications, that Kroger's going to say, hey, we can get this at so and so price from this company. And that's when the size will change, or the, the shape will change, or the color will change. It's the same medication, it's just made by a different parent company. Um, Now, there there are some medications where the generic, most of the time, 90-plus percent of the time, you don't have to worry about generics. Um, But you do, for some medications, particularly the thyroid medications. so those need to be brand name, even if they're higher, just because they work better. Uh, But blood pressure medications, most of the time, you're okay. Now, there is one in the news right now. So Valsartan, which is a good medication... Unfortunately, one of the companies that picked it up, uh, they noticed that it had a chemical in it called NMDA, which can cause cancer in laboratory animals and in higher doses humans. So they have pulled that. You may have seen that in the news. That's Valsartan. And it's only, you know, right now there's there's sort of a, a continued testing going on to, to know exactly which companies to, uh, to pull it. At first, it was just a small number of companies, but now they've broadened that out. Uh, so it's best to check with your pharmacist about things like that and your physician. But that's why it changes most of the time. That's not going to cause a, a a different reaction. Some people have noticed from time to time that their blood pressure varies a little bit with that, and you can talk to your physician. But yeah. I would say ninety plus percent of the people who are you know that 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 happens that uh, that they do just fine. Okay.
4: Well, I was just worried about it. It was all it looked like a different medicine. I didn't want to take the wrong thing. And, right. And In fact, like they gave me the wrong thing. And then exactly. Happened, you know?
0: Yeah, you you want to you want to keep up with that kind of thing. And uh, one thing you can do if uh, there is an app uh, on a phone that you can you can Google, uh, you know, it can actually describe that. So there's uh, WebMD is one that you can get for free, and anybody can go on there. And if you'll if you'll describe, it has this sort of menu that you can describe the shape and color of your medication, whether it's scored, what's on it, and i will tell you exactly what it is. So. Uh, But, yeah, asking is never a bad policy. Hey, thanks for all our callers this morning. This has been Southern Remedy, which is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. Our call screener, I believe, was Kevin Farrell. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. You can join us next Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.